Welcome to the New Books Network. As you can see, the lifeline is divided into two polar extremes, fear and love. Fear is in the negative energy spectrum, and love is in the positive energy spectrum. No, duh. Excuse me? No, duh is a product of fear. Now, on each card is a character dilemma which applies to the lifeline. Please take this. Thank you. Please read each character dilemma aloud and place an X on the lifeline in the appropriate place. Ling Ling finds a wallet on the ground filled with money. She takes the wallet to the address on the driver's license but keeps the money inside the wallet. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Ms. Farmer, I don't get this. Well, just place an X on the lifeline in the appropriate place. No, I mean, I, I know what to do, I just, I don't get this. You can't just lump things into two categories. Things aren't that simple. The lifeline is divided that way. Well, life isn't that simple. I mean, y who cares if Ling Ling returns the wallet and keeps the money? Has nothing to do with either fear or love. Fear and love are the deepest of human emotions. Okay. But you're not listening to me. There are other things that need to be taken into account here, like the whole spectrum of human emotion. You can't just lump everything into these two categories and then just deny everything else. If you don't complete the assignment, you'll get a zero for the day. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. You know how the show works. This week, we're doing an interesting pick. Dan, what are we doing? Donnie Darko, 2001, written and directed by Richard Kelly. So this is the ultimate high school, college movie, if you're me. Dan, you were an upstanding citizen by the time this came out, so I don't know. I think you saw it for the first time because it was included in a criterion list. I've seen it six or seven times and I have a deeply ambivalent relationship to Donnie Darko that we'll talk about. But I asked you to watch it. You did. And you've refused to give me your overall take. Sometimes you give me a hint. Um, sometimes you kind of let me peek into your mind uh, briefly before we record the show without without going into too much detail. This time you said uh, that you were saving it for the pod. So what's going on? People have been bugging me to see this movie for years. And every once in a while, people would say, you've never seen Donnie Darko? And I never avoided it. I never had some like stance against it. I, I literally just never got around to it. So finally, you texted me. Finally, I put it on. Finally, I watched it. The short version is it's probably the best high school movie of all time about what it's like to be in high school. It is not the movie I thought it was going to be. It is absolutely not what I, I don't know. I kind of thought it was going to be this strange, supernatural kind of teen horror thing that it's better than that. It's much better than that. And it's much more interesting than that. So part one, we always give our overall take. So Mike, what I have now is a return to the secret lists. So I'm going to read a list right now of movies, Mike. Hit me. These are movie titles that occurred to me as I watched Donnie Darko for the first time. And you could write down each one if you want. And then I want you to just pick some of them and you could you can riff on any of them. As, go for it. Here we go. In no particular order. Actually, this is the order I thought of them as I watched the movie. Back to the Future. Blue Velvet. The Breakfast Club. Primer and Tenet in the same line. A Scanner Darkly. 
Full Metal Jacket and Clockwork Orange, again in the same line. Harvey and Take Shelter. Uh, Har Harvey's funny. Um, I can see how you would, that this is kind of a mix of The Breakfast Club and Blue Velvet. I feel like a lot of that is achieved through uh, the wonderful Tears for Fears based soundtrack, which totally works. And uh, t Tears for Fear, I mean, Tears for Fears unironically, I get the sense that there, there is a certain scene where they slow down everything as they walk through the, the high school and, and they play head over heels, which is which is funny. And it's almost it's almost a better music video than um, if you ever saw the classic Tears for Fears uh, music video for head over heels where he's in the library, which is which is, of course, one of the most classic music videos of all time um, mixed with mixed with Blue Velvet, because I think one of the reasons I have a deeply ambivalent relationship to this movie is is part of its point, which is it refuses to fully articulate itself. It it actually, it you know, the opposite of the Family Guy joke, it doesn't insist on anything. It presents a bunch of things and then it pulls them all back and it allows you to make of it what you will. I'm sure we'll get to that at the end. But yeah, this is this is very much emphatically a high school movie. And it, it, it seems to me it's the premise of like, what if what was going on in a high schooler's head was actually reality rather than a, a fantasy or kind of bubble from which they would either emerge or not emerge. And what would be the consequences of that? It would be this movie. This is a movie that if I watched it when I was 25, the first thing I would have started doing was watching it again and getting out all my red arrows. And for, for those of you new to the show, this is a, this is a phrase Mike loves to say. So Mike, really quickly, tell us what is a red arrow video? A red arrow video is a video that explains a movie in terms of its Easter eggs, but not in terms of its actual meaning or the the values and consequences of its character. It's, it says, why was it whose handwriting was it on the sign that says, where is Donnie on the magnet board that's on the fridge? And it's like, yes, that does matter, but it doesn't really matter if you want to like this movie. Right. When I watch it now, much later in life, this movie about high schoolers, I love how it captures the human experience. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is unbelievable. He's like such a good, he's so good in this movie. And I was reminded of how much we liked Prisoners and that in Prisoners, we liked his performance and Hugh Jackman's performance much more than the actual murder plot. Remember that? He's such a good creep. Yeah. That's why he's I really, I mean, he's an incredible creep. And if you think about how many movies in which he plays kind of a weird creep, he's great. Yeah. That's why I put Full Metal Jacket and Clockwork Orange on the list, not because he's the leader of the Droogs or because there's anyone like Sergeant Hartman, but because he does the Kubrick stare. You know, in the first shot of Clockwork Orange, when you see Kubrick, when you see Malcolm McDowell or when um, Pyle finally goes crazy in Full Metal Jacket, he's like, everybody hates me now. Yeah, there's there's something about his blankness that is yeah. not um, it's not static. It appears to be a frozen image, but it sort of it changes over time. You yeah. know, it's just there. there's some you could hold that shot for 15 seconds and each second is different. It's not a sustained thing for 15 seconds. And that, that's very rare for a young actor. I put a scanner darkly on here, which is a movie we love because also this at one point I thought to myself, what if Philip K. Dick wrote a Judy Bloom book? What, what, what would that be like? What's your overall take on the movie? Well, I'll give you one movie that I thought of this watching it this time and I couldn't shake it out of my head, which was it's the photo negative of It's a Wonderful Life. It's like it, if you turned if you turned It's a Wonderful Life into a parallel universe, which which, of course, it has a parallel universe. This is what it would be. And it, and it kind of goes something like this. Some dark entity that's all powerful, that's viewing this universe from the outside is manipulating it 
because instead of the universe that it's supposed to be, it's a universe that that should not exist. And so you have a guy who takes all the right actions, right? He uncovers the pedophile and he tells the girl, um, someday everybody's going to like you. And he tries to right all the wrongs in the universe, but you, but he can't because he's the wrong thing about the universe and all right. All the good that he does can only be reversed to put everything back where it should be. If he wills and accepts his own destruction and uses the powers that have been granted him in that universe to erase himself. Um, And I think that this movie kind of winks at that at the end with the deja vu moment between Mm -hmm. the girlfriend and his mom, right? Because if they don't recognize each other, then this all happened in Donnie's head or it's all been a dream or some, you know, some BS at, at the end of the movie. But this but this movie doesn't allow you to get away with that. That's the significance of the deja vu moment. Right. That the, the movie, the only thing that the movie insists on is something happened, but it doesn't fully articulate what it is. Right. And and this is right. The, the Instead of Clarence, the angel, right. You get Frank, the bunny, who's trying to explain to you the rules of the universe and not that it's going to continue or that your life has meaning that, you know, you're, you're kicking against the goads by trying to make all these changes in the universe because you, you really can't. And in fact, every change that you make to try to give this universe significance only draws you closer to the imminent moment when you'll select your own destruction. Which the movie does really well because at about an hour and a half into it, I'm watching it and all of a sudden just popped my head. I go, wait a minute, what, ha- what was with that plane engine? And the- what was with the- with the- what-, what was going on with that? And then of course, then you realize it's an It's a Wonderful Life thing where you get, to- and actually the you actually see the film go in reverse and you get to see what would happen if he was never born. That's all fun. I still think the great thing about the movie is is much more interesting than like Grandma Death's book about time travel and the nature of free will, ver- you know, versus determinism that he tries to talk about with Noah Wiley. And does that does that imply there's no God? Those moments aren't as good as when the girl turns around and kisses him and he's surprised. Like that's a great moment because he wants to kiss her in the beginning. And that part is so funny when he's like, um, will you, will you go with me? And she's like, where do you want to go? And he's like, well, that's just what we call it around here. Like that's such good high school, <laughs> painful awkwardness. And then uh, he's like, well, are you going to kiss me? And she won't kiss him. But then she finally turns around at the right moment and you're surprised as he is. And that's such a great human moment. So I think this movie does both of those things really well. It, it talks about those ideas. It kind of throws them out there, but also does so in a way that um, you don't get Michael J. Fox, who's a perfect Hollywood teenager. You get Jake Gyllenhaal, who's like a real teenager. Right. And I think that what the movie does well is it balances the consequences of both. Right. It, it gives you a teenage brain because you as a viewer, yeah. right, you may be interested in one over the other. You may care about the high school plot and not care about Frank. And suddenly Frank will impose himself. But that may be the element of the movie that you like. And then all of a sudden, right, the, the romance reimposes itself. And so it's like, obviously, I think what maturity means is being able to balance those two and, and actually subordinate one to the other. And the movie refuses to allow you to do that. It makes them equal. And so it, give, it gives you an immature brain in the sense that both of these things have equal consequences. Okay, welcome back. So in part two, of course, we talk about our key scenes or the the big moments that are indicative of the themes of the film as a whole. Dan, why don't you go first? I forgot to say in part one that another movie that popped in my head was Inland Empire. You mentioned Blue Velvet, but of course, if you've ever seen Inland Empire, there's this great um, sitcom that the characters watch where these rabbits, it's kind of like Seinfeld, but with rabbits, but it's really dark and disturbing. And, and both of these guys have hit upon that there's something scary and creepy about giant rabbits. Anyway, my moment does not have to deal with Frank the Giant Rabbit. My moment has to go back to this idea that it's a great high school movie. 
there i i was chuckling at many times like when he has to do the cards between the fear and love continuum and he's like ling ling finds a wallet and he's like add like that's such a there's so many good high school things in it but my moment was the time i laughed out loud like the i had a real honest laugh when i watched this movie and it's when he's at the assembly and Patrick Swayze is giving the assembly. That thing, first of all, is is so he's so good in this movie. His bad microphone is great. His video is unbelievable. His videos are great. Like the, the the whole thing about the assembly is so good. It's like every bad assembly that people have made you sit through to make you a quote unquote better person, starting with the time you're in kindergarten, all the way up through sometimes your own job, right? You have to sit through these things where a guest speaker comes in and is gonna like, oh yeah, yeah, and sell the book. And I love how his book is called something it was it's called like attitudinal adjustments or something it's got some terrible title anyway the moment is when he says to him well i think you're the effing antichrist and they take him off the stage when he's doing question with the audience now why is it a great moment because the the scene is the movie's supposed to be a horror movie but if you're one of the adults in the, that run the school or run the world in Donnie Darko's case, that scene is the scariest scene. What's terrifying if, you, if you're bringing in Patrick Swayze for this assembly is that some kid is going to stand up and call BS on the whole thing. That's why the principal is so terrified. And that's why I think it's so funny when he says, well, I think you're the Antichrist. He says, you want to lose weight? Get off the couch and stop eating Twinkies. Maybe go out for field hockey. You want to stop um, getting picked on? Why don't you take a karate lesson and kick the guy um, where it hurts and then all of a sudden he'll stop putting your head in the toilet and i love that it, when he's doing it they're playing horror horror show music they're playing scary music while he's doing that i think that's a great moment because it shows you it makes him likable because you have to be on donnie's side for the movie to work but it just strikes me as like that's a real great like um holding caulfield moment where in catcher on the rye there's there's some guy that um runs uh, an undertaking business and he comes in every year to talk about what a great guy he is to the kids at pensy and what a what a down-home guy and they just see right through him and somebody farts during the assembly and holden thinks it's great this moment is like is like you know donnie darko quote-unquote farting at patrick swayze who turns out to be a terrible guy you know donnie darko can see right through him but i just think if, you, if you're one of the adults running the universe that scene is the scariest scene in the movie but it just made me laugh out loud and they they take there's a diffuse evil in in those kinds of people and they make it a concentrated evil so it works for the movie because it does it doesn't work if he's just kind of a jerk low level passive aggressive you know making his family feel bad at Thanksgiving every year for seventy years till he dies you you have to concentrate it into something that works cinematically and they they find and they they find they find the perfect thing so what's your moment well my I have the anti moment which is. When you're following Donnie through the movie, you do need to sympathize with Donnie for the movie to work. Because when he wakes up on the hillside or he's watching the sunset or he's giggling at nothing, you feel you feel like there's something wrong with Donnie. Right. The the, the line that Maggie Gyllenhaal delivers, which is, why don't you tell mom and dad why you stopped taking your medication is almost too on the nose. Right. Because it, you got to let me know that he's taking the medication. You also have to let me know that there's something wrong with him and it's trying to exert itself. So the, so the movie has to get you on Donnie's side, but it cannot allow you to remain on Donnie's side. And my favorite moment is when he starts to see uh, he starts to see the portals come out of people's middle. His dad is watching the football game um, and, and he can start to see time exert itself or what he's seeing is the either the expression of free will or the expression of determinist of uh, determinism. Right. right. You're you're either deterministically destined to go into the kitchen or you're starting to think about going into the kitchen 
And that's time expressing itself in the fourth dimension. And instead of saying, oh my God, what is that? Or having a perfect Confucius-like understanding of the expression of determinism. He goes, <laughs> and you're like, this kid is, right? It's immediate separation of the viewer from Donnie because he's acting, you know, he he's acting like they're like it's funny or there's there's some kind of joke and he but he's not quite in on it but he's willing to laugh at it which of course we're all we're all dealing in expressions of horror um confusion and that jake gyllenhaal's creepiness has to reassert itself at the right moments in order for the movie to work but then to show you the ultimate control that kelly has over it he's he has to be able to take it away whenever he wants he has to be able to go this is the romantic lead of this movie identify with him and you're like okay i identify with him it's like okay but he finds strange portals opening up in his living room amusing it's like i i definitely don't like aha but he hates bullies oh me too right but uh he's he's asking the uh dead rabbit questions like ah okay probably i would run away yeah and so the, that dynamic has to reassert itself at will. Um, and that both separated me from Donnie and gave me admiration for the first time over over the structure of the script. Because again, the script is not fully articulated, but that doesn't mean it's not neatly structured. It, it has an emotional architecture that either brings you closer to or further away from Donnie at any given point. Yeah, the as a first-time viewer, when the portal started coming out of people's stomachs, I thought to myself, well, either this is free will, like you can you can go along with this portal, or it's determinist that, that the, you have to follow the portal. And the movie, of course, is, yeah, exactly, I'm not going to vote. But as also as a first-time viewer, to, to tie into what you said, when he follows the portal up to his parents' closet and opens the box and the gun is it is in it, I thought that was the most disturbing moment in the movie because I did not know what was going to follow, but I started to wonder what was going to follow. And I started to get like nervous about what was going to follow. And that was a, definitely a moment where, where Kelly, the director says, you think you're on this guy's side, Jake Gyllenhaal is really charming, but now you're about to go somewhere else. But then of course he pulls back because he's going to use that gun later on to, to shoot Frank who runs over Gretchen. Which of course you, but you you don't know that, right? right? So what what you what you know so far is to go back to your moment. You know, oh wow, it is actually liberating when somebody stands up and says the adult establishment is BS, and you're like, yeah, man, remember the '80s? And then the right, and then it le- right it leads you upstairs with the little yeah. cartoon finger, right? It and the, and if you remember the cartoon finger is like that's that's when um a hungry character smells something Bugs delicious. Bunny. You know what I mean? Right. Bugs bunny, right. It's like the pie in the window and it, right. And it leads him upstairs to the gun and you think, Oh yeah, that's why adults don't like when kids assert themselves in, in assembly. I forgot about that for a yeah. second. You, we, um, the fun of the breakfast club, which I mentioned earlier is Judd Nelson. The first time you see that movie, you're in high school and you're like, yeah, man, this is exactly what high school is like. And you love Judd Nelson telling off the principal, but you don't want to see him shoot him. Welcome back. In part three, we always talk about the ending or the title. Before we do that, Mike, I mentioned the one moment that made me laugh out loud. My second laugh out loud moment is when he takes her to see Evil Dead and on Halloween and there's no one there. And um, the Frank the Rabbit is sitting next to him and he just kind of slowly looks over at him. And it's just such an odd moment. It made me laugh. It's a radio show, Dan. Dan is doing Dan's doing the Jake Gyllenhaal face. Uh, so that, uh, anyway. So let's talk about the ending or the title. Mike, what do you make of the ending? Um, well, that that <laughs> it depends. And again, that's why I have a deeply ambivalent relationship to the movie. My reading of the movie is that what Donnie is called on to do, right? So in, in the real universe, something about Donnie, his refusal to take his medication 
means that um, that crazy people do have otherworldly powers, right? It, it was thought it was thought that the insane were seeing things just not they just weren't on the same radio frequency that that we were on. So Donnie's refusal as a troubled teen to take his medication means that he is able to heed some kind of summons, which takes him out of the way of danger when the engine falls on his house. Unfortunately, that creates a time loop uh, that has to be rectified in the next 28 days. So he lives in an alternate universe where he's able to fully articulate the consequences of his madness. So whereas he could maybe maybe just hint that he knows when people are doing bad stuff, like he actually does know who's right and who's wrong. The axe head, um, there's other physical consequences. There's no explanation for how the axe head could, could have split bronze, right. right? Unless he has superhuman strength. There's no explanation for how he could have gotten into the locked school unless he has some other kind of powers that, that other people don't have. So he's able to exert himself in this universe but like we said, it's kind of the inverse. It's a wonderful life. So she says, what, like a superhero or something, right? And he's like, oh, well, maybe, right? Who knows? But he's not a superhero because every person he tries to save, everything he touches turns to ash until the only conceivable consequence, the actual reason that he's here is not to save the universe that he's in. It's to save everybody in the other universe. And he can only do that by taking the jet engine that's falling from the sky that's ostensibly going to kill his mother and his sister, summoning it into the other universe and causing the two to merge and collapse so that he himself is crushed, but everybody lives. Yeah, And he says, I hope the next thing I go to is really, really cool or, or words to those effect. Those are his dying words. So that's, that's, that's what I took the ending to be as well as, you know, I die so that others may live and, and the secret dies with him and, and grandma death's book dies with him and all, all this knowledge. So they, that's what the deja vu moment. So when Gretchen weighs at his mother, they kind of have this strange kind of vibe at the end and you get to see everybody's reaction to, to Donnie's death at the end with of course, great music. What what remind what I thought about the ending was so interesting is that after I got done watching the movie, I'm watching the movie on Tubi or Hulu or something. I think it was Tubi, right? And it says up next, and you know what it'll suggest movies for you? It said up next was a scanner darkly. Now that was so funny because I thought of Philip K. Dick while I was watching the movie, and I do love that movie. We did an episode on it, but I thought how funny that, and and I thought to myself, well, that's strange, and it reminded me of one of our favorite things we do talk about when we're not talking about movies is what people call, you know, um, the frequency illusion, which is other people call the Bader-Meinhof illusion, right? Which is that you want to explain to everybody, what is the frequency illusion? It's when you're talking about something and then you see something that immediately reminds you of it. So you're talking about a song with your mom and then you get in the car to drive away from her house and the song pops up. And of course, it, it's a radio. So of course, there's always the chance that that song will play. But you believe that you have a special relationship to the universe because something heard yes. you. That's the bottom line. This just happened to me this morning. I was talking to someone uh, earlier today about the word peruse. And somebody said, you know, everybody uses the word peruse incorrectly because people think it means just skim, but the word peruse actually means to read very carefully. Then I started reading a book. 10 minutes later, I saw the word peruse. And you're like, oh, it's like the universe is speaking to you. Now, of course, one of the things I learned about the frequency illusion when I looked it up is that um, people with anxiety and people with schizophrenia tend to get this more often and it can lead to confirmation delusions and and other kinds of things and 
that happened to me at the end when when a scanner darkly popped up on my you should watch next but of course that's what happens to him throughout the movie he's constantly getting signs that the universe is speaking to him when he um when patrick swayze is giving the speech in that assembly he says you know i'm going to talk about a guy who was who was who was controlled by fear and now you think he's going to say that boy was me but it says that man is frank and you're like oh, frank and 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 he's constantly going around like wait a minute what's going on it's like the bob dylan song something is happening but you don't know what it is and i just want to let our listeners know by the way that i get at least three texts a month um as these illusions uh strike dan yeah. and the, never, he never misses a moment to tell me but i i think that there's other so you you touch on other things that are happening in this movie. So you might remember that the father wakes up, they're laying in the hotel room and he he's alone with his wife. And he says, do you remember that guy who died on the way to prom? And for some reason, his ideas about his own significance in the world and whatever he's built with his business and whatever he's built with his family is he feels like he's been saved from something because somebody else died. Right. There's like a it's it's as though that there's a correct amount of significance that you're supposed to assign to yourself and too little significance has consequences. Right. That's what Patrick Swayze is trying to correct in others. But too much significance yeah. is is like the definition of schizophrenia. Right. It's like um symbols and signs by Vladimir Nabokov. Right. That the, the his, their son is trapped in his own delusions because he thinks that the clouds have special messages for him that they're that are written in the sky. And Donnie Darko brings up the again the two teen anxieties like parallel to one another next to each other which is what if the girl doesn't kiss me and the other is what if i what if i'm not significant right what if i grow up to be not significant and it, and it's the it's the dramatization of the answer what if for 28 days you were the most significant person in the universe right but that universe would collapse in on itself is is the answer and so that's i think Finally, I liked it the the most this time through because I think the full articulation is not anything that's in Roberta Sparrow's book. The full articulation is what if I was able to turn teenage dread into an actual feeling of dread that the that the audience could experience and still have all the teenage elements and still have the tears for fears, but still make it operate on the level that I wanted it to. And in that in that sense, from a from the director's point of view, it's like a magic trick. The joke about the frequency illusions that Mike made before about how we will text him, that's that's actually true. We will text each other frequency illusion moments. And it's like it happens all the time. You meet four people named George in the same day or something like that. Or you're, you're thinking about somebody and they call you or they text you. That happens all the time. We point them out to each other just because they're funny and because we talk about coincidences in movies. But what if... All of those moments were actually leading up to something. What if they were actually leading up to a message? I mentioned before a movie that I would highly recommend to our listeners, which is Take Shelter. How good is Take Shelter? Uh, it's incredible. Incredible. We did an episode on that. Michael Shannon, it's 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 got we said it's got the best nightmare ever filmed in a movie. And he's almost as creepy as Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I mean, he, it's really good. But that's actually about, like, that movie dramatizes what it's like to have schizophrenia. But at the end of the movie, uh, there's a little cute, some people think it's a little too cute where you actually find out what the schizophrenia is leading up towards. Maybe it's it's ambiguous and you can listen to the episode and hear us talk about it if you want. But in this one, 
I think like what you said, it's so well suited to a teenager because when you're a teenager, you are looking for signs and symbols that you are, your ego is so big and everything is the end of the world. So when you're older and you talk to somebody who is 16 and a girl made him feel stupid and he asked her out and now he feels dumb and stuff, you just laugh at it. Like, that's why it's so fun to watch the movie now. You're like, you'll get over it. It's fine, man. Like, don't worry about it. But when you're 16, you cannot be told that because it is the end of the world. No one else knows what it's like to be in love. No one else knows what it's like to go through this. And then when you're older, you're like, yeah, pretty much everybody does. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Donnie Darko. I feel like we've just scratched the surface, but you know, uh, you know, it'll, hopefully it'll send some people back to the movie. Great pick, Mike. You could follow us on X at 15MIN Film. You can follow us where else? Letterboxd. Follow us on Letterboxd and let us know what we should watch next. We'll see you next time. Dan, it's a radio show. Donald, let me preface this by saying that your Iowa test scores are intimidating. So let's go over this again. What exactly did you say to Ms. Farmer? I'll tell you what he said. He asked me to forcibly insert the lifeline exercise cart into my anus. <laughs>